0: You are all most welcome to spend an hour in the company of an actor described as giving a towering performance of Jack, as Jack Tanner uh, in Man and Superman. Um, we've all read Nick Heitner saying in various um, papers and things that it's always a struggle to get directors at the National Theatre to want to do the classical works. There's so much going on in the theatre now new plays, adaptations of books, Yes. that it's tricky finding someone to do the canon, the standard Mm -hmm. works. Now I'm sure not many directors volunteered to do Man and Superman. How did it come about?
1: It came about because Nick uh, asked me if I would like to come and do a play in his last season here, and I said yes. He said, I can't do one with you because my slate is full, but shall we discuss ideas and we threw around a couple of classic plays. And what were the others? Um, one was Tartuffe. Oh. Mm? Mm. Um, well, that could wait. <laughs> 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 um, I didn't, yes, that didn't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but then I, he said, well, let's have a think. Um, and then I remembered I, well, I had done The Man and Superman on the radio with, with Peter Hall um, some years ago. All I'm, of it? All, most, pretty much all of it, yeah. or most of it, and I liked it. I don't think it particularly lifted off the page on radio, but uh, I s- threw out rather, rather sort of <laughs> blithely, oh, what about Man and Superman? <laughs> Not thinking that he would pick it up, maybe, but thinking... well. Then he said, quickly came back, the answer was, yes, we'd like to do it.
0: Uh, and then you took a very well, deep breath.
1: Well then, well, then Nick said, the person I think you should direct it is Simon Godwin. He, would, he said, you must see Simon's production of Strange Interlude, the Eugene O'Neill play that was then mm-hmm. just coming to the end of its run here. So I went to see it and was blown away by the detail of it, the connection between the actors. I felt every actor in, it had the interior life of each a- actor was very, was very rich and full. And it was a, it's a long play, too. Is that the, to the
0: credit of the director? Does that, is that the well, director? Well, s- I
1: would say, yes, slightly with hindsight, because having gone through our rehearsal period, Simon takes great care that all these characters in Man and Superman, we all write our little biographies for them and do exercises, so that some time is spent in... So that when you are, if you've thought about that as an actor... A life. It does help, in fact, when you get up to say a certain line, you've imagined a whole history behind it. The audience might not know, but it helps you to feel it's come from somewhere. Now,
0: this is the Mike Lee technique, isn't it? You ask Mm. your actor to Mm. go away, Mm. read the part, the lines that define you in the play Mm. on stage, and then create a background?
1: Well, I I think it's probably different from Mike Lee, but I think it's it's sort of essential... I think most actors might do this anyway as their homework, But I think it is good that that the director makes it a task in the rehearsal room, that everyone shares their imagined biography of their character. And we had a lot of fun enjoying everyone's inventiveness around who their characters were and where they had grown up and what they had done, what love affairs they had had, and et, cetera, et cetera. So
0: you know a lot more about Jack Tanner than we will ever know. I know a
1: bit more, yes. More, more than Shaw knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Would he be surprised?
1: <laughs> he might challenge me on a few things. <laughs>
0: right, well, it's a very long piece of work. It's a lot, five hours when mm. Shaw wrote it for the opening at mm. the, uh, the beginning of the last century. Um, it was tough even then, and I think Shaw suggested that it was even possible at that time to leave out Act 3, which we'll talk yeah. about in a moment. Mm. So you've got a five-hour play, mm-hmm. and you have somehow... It's been reduced to three, and three and a half, I think, playing here.
1: Yes, we, we, it was. We, we, um, I asked when Simon... We met, and we liked each other, and we agreed to do it, and we met. And I said, could we... We're going to have to cut this, for sure, but could we at least gather and read the whole thing through, uncut? Which we did about a year before we started rehearsals. In fact, so. And
0: up. how did that read? The full.
1: It's interminable. <laughs> it's it's, it's it, <laughs> I mean, five I, hours. It was it was about four and a half or four and a half, yeah four hours twenty, but it was uh, uh, the hell Act three in hell that is is unworkable unless you cut it. Right. I mean, also lots of references to contemporary issues that are relevant now, but it, it and he repeats himself and he goes off on tangents and. And we, we've lost lots of great bits of hell, lots of pungent comments on, on sexual behaviour and attraction. But
0: we'd have liked that. <laughs> lots of jokes, you didn't yes. cut the jokes, presumably.
1: Well, the, the, the pattern is that Don Juan Tanner talks a lot, and the, the commander, brilliantly played in this by Nicola Provot, is constantly punctures... Uh, Tanner with his impatience. But, but there's, there was a lot of funny stuff between the commander, de- the devil, and Tanner, which we just ha- had to let go of. But I think it, I think this, this edit is very good.
0: Well, now, I'm, I'm sure that some of the people here will already have seen the play, and some of you will be anticipated seeing it soon. So uh, I should just say that the third act is when Jack Tanner, who we've en- been enjoying um, as he manoeuvres his life, um, uh, consecutively, f- has a dr- falls asleep when he's with some brigands in the mountain. Don't ask. <laughs> he falls asleep and he has a dream about descending into hell. And that is the act that um, we're speaking about. And then he wakes up and, the, as it were, the play resumes. It's kind of light comedy, really, isn't it? It's yeah. very, very funny. Well,
1: for sure... In, uh, in If You Buy Man and Superman, the, the, the published edition, there's a very long introduction in which he sets out his intentions at length. Uh, <laughs> but it says, I've written the Don Juan play for today. My Don Juan is m- more of a philosopher than he is a Lothario. But that I've written this central act, which is designed to be taken out. I don't expect it to be performed. Um, and I think when it was first done in 1904, it was not there. And then, as you say, in 1915, it was done in its entirety, I think, in Edinburgh. where He sat through it and he said, it's a bit like watching a Viennese opera, um, operetta rather, with a Wagner opera in the middle of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it is a bit Wagnerian, I must say. So um, let's talk about this act that this is so special because it's the vehicle for Shaw's philosophy, isn't it? We're meant to glean from this encounter, which happens in hell, but has references to heaven as well, and a lot of surprises, a lot of jokes, um, but are really engaging with the Shaw idea and the Superman idea, and the life force. Now, can we just talk about Superman? Because it is not the cartoon, it is Superman.
1: Well, yes, the Superman is a man whose brain is extraordinary. I think Michael Holroyd identified um, Einstein as being, for sure, an example of a Superman. He talks about the philosopher, the philosopher being nature's pilot. What he, the central debate in this scene in hell is between Don Juan and the devil. Don Juan is bored in hell and believes that in heaven is a place of work. Heaven is behind the scenes. Heaven is where you endeavor to ra- raise man up into a, a better, more omnipotent, more clearly conscious, more, high, more aware being, better than he is. And he's a, the work for doing that, the engagement with that task of raising man upward takes place in heaven. The devil says forget about it all. It's all been done, everything's come and gone, it'll come and go again. Sit back, kick back, have a drink, relax, Uh, enjoy yourself. And the devil's argument here, and the devil has a great argument about mankind being devoted only to destruction. One of the great speeches in the scene is this devil's speech about man is only connected to the idea of destruction and death. And Shaw brilliantly controls, manages this debate. I think Michael Holroyd said he believes the devil wins. I can't afford to let myself think that, being plagued. <laughs> but I think uh, I think it's uh, I think that I think that debate is current. I think: Are we going to engage with committing ourselves to a way of life that can be better, or should we just shrug our shoulders and say, "Well, it's all been done. What's the point?"
0: And where do you stand on that point?
1: I do. I do think essentially one. I mean, we're in this building because people sat and decided that this this has a purpose for enlightenment engagement. Pr- provocative thinking, that's why we're here, so I think a theatre is a part of our endeavour of raising ourselves upwards to be more conscious, more thinking, more investigative of who we are. Right. Um, these things that happen because people sat around and wanted it. So I'm on Don Juan's side.
0: But you have to repress that when you're playing Jack <laughs> Tanner. No, no, I
1: mean, I'm agreeing with Tanner. Juan. Yeah, of course, yeah, 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 because yeah. he
0: wants to do that. Yeah. He wants to make life better. Now, um, I have certain problems with uh, Don Juan in Hell because not only does he discuss the life force and, uh, mm. in, in an abstract sense, he does have some attitudes to women mm-hmm. and the relationships between men and women which I would say are old-fashioned.
1: Well, I think Don Juan and and Tana, who are sort of alter ego of each other, uh, they are the the mouthpiece of a man who is fugitive from a sense of being entrapped by woman. I I would disagree that it's about woman hating. I think it's about fear of being entrapped. And I think Shaw laughs at this. And in fact, at the end of the play, Jack is in love. I mean, when I did it with Peter Hall, he said, "This plays about sex. It's just about sex." Uh, And what what I think he meant was, in the the scene, the life force. The life force. I mean, Don Juan has a long thing about. I I was chasing women. I, I, I I, I worshipped womankind, and when I was the first time I was confronted with the possibility of seduction, everything about my rational sense told me to avoid it that it was for all kinds of reasons, for her as well as for me, for both our, our well-being, I shouldn't do this thing. But the life force took me and threw me into her arms, or between her legs, whatever. But, <laughs> but that's... that, And I couldn't resist it. I saw then how useless it is to attempt to resist the irresistible force of life. And I think that's what he's talking about.
0: Uh, yes, I recognise that. But I think there's something mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. about... I mean, uh, basically, Shaw uh, makes Jack Tanner the... Uh, pro- the Um, the provocative element about Mm -hmm. this, and and the the woman Mm -hmm. whom he loves or comes to love, Mm -hmm. or is trying to avoid loving, Mm -hmm. um, is really um, not his match. She isn't as big a protagonist as as she would be today. That's true.
1: I think that's a a possible weakness in the play that um, Shaw has given. I I think Tanner's a version of Shaw, and Shaw's letting a lot of steam, getting it out of his system. Uh, he believed he had created uh, a, a decent feminist antagonist in Anne, and I think that's ob- that you can challenge that for sure today. And I think in, in his... There's a great speech about the art, the ruthlessness of the artist man against the ruthlessness of the mother woman, but he doesn't talk about the artist woman, which I, I think is a, sh- it's a shame, because I think having had a, my own mother, who was a, a writer and, and a painter, and struggled to be a mother and an artist, and I, I remember being in the, f- the front line of her, her wrestling reference. with this, and I and I, I identified in this play that that you know, the woman who needs to work and create and make, n- not just children, but life, art, whatever. That he doesn't explore. In well,
0: this it's, play. I'm, not, I'm not surprised that he doesn't explore it really, mm. because it has, although it did exist in his time, as you know, the whole of the Slade was full of extremely ambitious mm. women painters and so on. Um, but nonetheless. He wrote the woman as the woman of his day, mm. and when we see it on the stage today, mm. there may be women in the audience who nod and say, well, we've changed all that. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the play is provocative still, and I think it will yeah. create have that reaction. I think, is it uh, Beatrice Webb? I mean, one of, the very sort of one of the leading Fabian woman intellectuals of his day it was constantly... In Holroyd's biography, he constantly refers to her endless dismissals of his work yes. and pointing out all its weaknesses in this regard. So I, I, Oh I th- yes, uh, he did uh, have a very,
0: uh, he had a very vigorous encounter with the women in yeah, his day, yeah. but he felt that they should concede to his superior. Intellect, I think, perhaps.
1: I don't know about that. I think he enjoyed a skirmish, but I don't know. Well, I think he certainly did. I think he certainly
0: enjoyed a skirmish, as indeed does Jack Tanner, who is enormously uh, attractive and provoking and witty. And I mean, it's a tremendous performance. Um, The critics talk about your torrential loquacity, which I think is wonderful because it is a huge. Part It is vast. I don't know how many lines it is, or how many pages, but it, is, it must be one of the biggest parts in theatre, isn't it?
1: I think so, yeah. yeah.
0: How did you go about handling it?
1: I started to learn it uh, about six months before rehearsals. Um, I, I, was, I was sort of nervous of what I needed. The, me- the memorising um, was a bit scary. Although I started back last summer. Um, and I had most of it down. I had most of the big speeches down by the time we started. I know I had the big speeches down. It was just the things that are harder to learn is the little, the one, the one liners, the dialogue. You really need to learn that with, with the the right other, your it. other partner. Um, but it definitely, I just didn't want. I mean, yeah. I think if you have a lot, a big text to say, you are always somehow, <laughs> you know, your memory might desert you. But uh, I think just the more you can bed it in, the sooner... Well, it's uh,
0: certainly bedded in, because the speed at which you deliver mm. it is, is absolutely breathtaking. Um, and presumably, you, sim- you switch on, and mm-hmm. it's almost um, autopilot, is it?
1: No, I don't think it's autopilot, John. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just talking about the technique. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, you, c- you can trust that flow of language. I mean, I've mean, i tried to
1: bed in the, th- the thoughts, and, yeah, I mean, y- yes, I try to trust it. I mean, sometimes I have, I have had the odd dry, the little slip-up. Um, I think, I, instinctively, I felt it, had, it has to have a pace to it. I think uh, it is a man who... Tanner is a man who speaks, then the ideas come tumbling out. I, I think the moment it would become explained or deliberate, I, that would not be my instinct at all, and...
0: And that's matched um, by mm, the physique because mm, you, you move at a fantastic speed. You, throw, you, you use your body to an enormous extent. It's not escaped any of us that the photograph in the programme has Shaw's, a statue of Shaw, next to a photograph of you looking un- uncannily <laughs> like Shaw. So, I mean, you have a sense of this tall, thin Irishman, don't you? Somehow, somewhere within the part.
1: Yes, I suppose so. At that time, I luckily had, I'd had a beard. Um, I'd just grown one for a film, and it worked for this idea for the photograph. Uh, you no, know, I, um, I think, as I say, I think it is to some degree a self-portrait. Uh, yes. And I think when Harley Granville Barker played it at the Royal Court, or then the Court Theatre, he was got up to look like Shaw. Mm-hmm. And I believe when Daniel Massey played it in the Olivier in 81 or 82, he also had a Shaw-like visage.
0: What do you think you would make of Shaw if you were to meet him?
1: I think, um, and this again is Michael Holroyd's brilliant biography, you know, suggests his physical nature to meet in person. Um, I think he, ha- he had lots of layers. He'd be very clever and very funny yeah. and talk a lot, but I think you might ask yourself how much you'd ever got to know him. Uh, yeah. uh, that he could be incredibly, he could, you know, socially was very adept when he wa- wanted to turn it on, mischievous, provocative, and Very funny, but I wondered if how many people really were let clo- in close
0: How much does his Irishness matter because you grew up in ireland didn 't you a you little bit to a, I mean, a do little you, bit you yeah. think of him as an Irish I do, I do yeah I do that wonderful fluency well,
1: I actually practiced some of these lines with an Irish accent <laughs> did you um, and that was helpful and that, that suddenly it made sense, um, just to practice it with some suggestion. It just suddenly the sort of flow of it seemed to sort of connect somehow. Could
0: you not try that one night? No. <laughs> <laughs> My last,
1: yes, the last day, Sunday, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when you do it. Now, let's talk about the style in which the play is directed, because um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it begins with Desert Island Discs. So it's clearly updated. Uh, it's updated, but it's, it's updated into a neutral land, isn't it, really? Desert Island Discs, of course, is contemporary uh, British broadcasting. But there are all sorts of just little moments that are, you know, the, the, the ice drink and the, mm. the cocktail and things like that. And yet the costumes are sort of neutral period. It's very... How do you... was that established between you and Simon? Well,
1: we, we definitely... We discussed whether we would do it traditional Edwardian, and we both felt strongly that that, that would sort of lock it down and we want Simon felt strongly, and I agreed that it should feel like we're we're making it modern. We're challenging it. Is it? Is it? Can it be? Can its modernity be made um, accessible? Um, can it be more present as a modern play? Um, and I, but I think what Christopher Oram, the designer, and Simon have come up with is modern clothes that have a suggestion of another period, but they are technically clothes of today. They are no, no one's got. Um, you know a frock coat on or anything or a stiff collar, but I just think very careful mm, I don't know just it 's good 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 design i suppose
0: oh, and the but the way Anne is dressed mm-hmm. is she has beautiful gowns. Yeah. um and there is a, a, But there is an Edwardian charm that somehow survives mm. into what is modern, yeah. the modern dress. I think that's very clever, very yeah. clever, because it's very beguiling. And also it gives you the sense that it is both true of the period yeah. and true of today.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like, I like Shakespeare productions that embrace total modernity. I'm, I'm a big fan of that, and I... And I think uh, some of that principle was applied to this.
0: Well, um, it's interesting you mention that, because your film of Coriolanus, Mm -hmm. which you both directed and starred in, Mm -hmm. is set in Bosnia. It's set in the Balkan War.
1: Well, it was shot in Belgrade, in Serbia, and it has a suggestion of that conflict. I mean, it's not meant to be... We We say at the beginning, a place calling itself Rome, which we got permission to use. It was actually the title of John Osborne's version of Coriolanus, um, which he called it a place calling itself Rome, and that absolutely identified the approach I was taking, which is a place, any place that calls itself Rome, because it's it's Rome. Uh, Well, we couldn't shoot in Rome. Expensive, but I
0: mean, possible. but the point is, it, it you you will see the film and mm-hmm. it is reminiscent of all that newsreel yeah. yeah. of the yes. Bosnian war, yeah. We use some.
1: yeah. We use so, I mean, if people it's make terrifying. that connection, that's great. It was yes. meant to be like any recent European conflict,
0: uh, and but you also mine that situation mm. for modern parallels, mm-hmm. and it's really mm-hmm. very, very terrifying and mm. brutal. Mm. It's very brutal. Now, I'm going to ask you another question that mm. might cause a little frown. Um, you starred in Curranus, and you've directed it. You yeah. star in this, and you don't direct it. Were you tempted to interfere?
1: <laughs> Simon Godwin is a lovely, generous, very tolerant man. Uh, very Which very, means yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, he he indulged me in... I felt... I was able to have an opinion, not about how, I hope not how it's to be directed, but just be, I just think it's great if you can say, as an actor, especially if you are in a, a central role and you are to a large extent carrying it, and the things about the production are linked to your, your character, your performance. So, I think it's good if you can have a a collegiate relationship with the director and understand the boundaries, and not in a, and I think. I felt we had a wonderfully collaborative time and he I and mean, he's not I wish he was here to participate but um I had one of the most fruitful relationships with a director I've ever had and and I think he he was extraordinarily generous in allowing me to say oh, I mean just more about what we were trying to do, what we were trying to say. I'm sure that's I
0: mean, right, because I'm sure you steeped yourself in... Mm. Well, if you, you, you were learning the lines six months ahead of rehearsal. You were steeping yourself in, in sort of shavian right. thought. Mm. Did you read a lot around it? Did you study it?
1: I just found... Sorry to be boring about... I found that one, the, the journey through Michael Holroyd's biography is one of the most wonderful things that I've, ever, I've ever been lucky enough to read. I mean, I, it helped that I was knew I was going to play Tanner, but if you haven't read this biography, and I believe it's abridged, it came out in three volumes in, I think, the late 70s, it's the most fantastic journey through a man's life. It's in bookshop. Like well, <laughs> go, and, go and buy it. It is it is. It marvellous It design. is brilliant. It's so beautifully written, and his, his descriptions of Sean, the way he takes you through, his relationships, his politics, the detailed descriptions and interpretations of the plays, And the friendships and terribly moving things. I didn't know that Edward Elgar and Shaw were very close friends and had a wonderful friendship in their twilight years. I didn't know all those things. I mean, and when his how Hollywood wanted his films and his. His, You know, his frustrations with the world of filmmaking and money and producers and things that still haven't changed. <laughs> no, no. Well,
0: you know about that mm-hmm. because you, you've uh, not mm-hmm. only a- starred and acted in Coriolanus, but also starred and acted in The Invisible Woman. Um, this double role... I mean, you've played many, many le- heavy leading roles in the theatre now. So you must be looking down the list and thinking... Tartuffe, of course, is still on the list. But there must <laughs> be... Um, mm-hmm. You must... In terms of your career, be looking to an extension of what you know how to do and doing the double role. Is that how you want to...?
1: No, I I don't... I mean, when I finished Coriolanus, I was pretty sure I didn't want to direct myself again in a film. And then this screenplay by Abby Morgan appeared, and I didn't know... I was ignorant of the story about Dickens and Nellie Ternan. Fell in love with this story and with Claire Tomalin's book, on which it's based... In fact, a lot of the journey was bringing the screenplay back to the, the book. But um, it was clear on the page, Dickens was a fan- fantastic part. Um, and I did, I did approach another actor to play it, and it was turned down. Um, and so then I could feel, I oh, was I want to play Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally I, I, I jumped in. Um, and I well, it was a perfect match, I must say, but
0: it, it must have a dilemma. I mean, if you're in front is, of the camera, trying to imagine it's what hard. the shot is, hard, isn't it's it? It's
1: real, it's in terrible, uh, you know, you're... you're to, be in, to be choosing shots and directing other actors yeah. and helping them and talking to your heads of departments and then suddenly to be... That is... It's, I, I, I don't want to do it again, not for a long time.
0: Well, we've segued neatly into your film career um, because that is the most illustrious career going. Um, you've got, uh, had nominations and Oscars. Fantastic. Everyone is very well aware of that success. And I wonder... I mean, it's a standard question to actors, which you prefer. It's always an interesting answer.
1: Mm. Well, I, I love doing both. And I, I, if I've done a lot of filming, I feel a real hunger to... Go back on stage. And if I've been on stage, then, then the, 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 the sort of detail that you can get in terms of, I suppose, close-ups and interior stuff happening behind the eyes, that stuff you can do on film. So,
0: but when you hunger to come on stage,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what is it you hunger for?
1: I think that nothing beats... First of all, being with a company of actors, where you, and, and where I feel very blessed in this company, well, a fantastic group of people and actors, I mean, we're all very close. And so our, that, that sense of team spirit, camaraderie, sense of ensemble, which develops from people walking shyly and awkwardly into rehearsal room on day one, the best of those experiences something, is unbeatable. And then to take what you've created and send it out to an audience, and to feel that you are engaging. It, it, you know, The audience aren't literally talking, but they're, they're the way in which they listen is, is a version of a dialogue. And you are, you are, it is a two-way thing which happens and it only happens in that space, in that time, once. Each um, night. Each night, thing, and yeah. so you can't repeat it. And there is something about that. That is unbeatable.
0: That's um, a kind of intensity which filmmaking can never acquire because you do. How long does it take to do? You t- you film about two minutes of a film per day, something like that.
1: Well, there is yes. It's, it's a different kind of intensity. I mean, the focus on the shot and getting yeah. it right, and the act, you know, the actor hitting something which is, on film terms, is inventive, surprising. You haven't seen is that. Is that X factor that makes a shot great? That, that also has its thrill but um, then it's over then you in an editing room for four or five months and sitting and watching and watching and repeating and having to learn what it is that you've got and that's just a whole other thing but nothing you don't not precisely this sort of adrenaline no I can and see. this c- connectivity directly with people
0: so of the films that you you've made I mean Schindler's List the English Patient uh, I mean there are many do you have um a sense of direction or a sense of emerging as a particular kind of film actor. I mean, the latest was the Budapest Hotel, which was absolutely, <laughs> magically hilarious. Um, w- where are you going? I mean, how, where are we... What are we looking for? <laughs>
1: um, well, I would like to direct, again, um, film and, and indeed in the theatre. I would love to do that. Um, but I... Would love to do more theatre.
0: So I mean, you you, you as love to try on variety, don't you? Yeah, I mean, Oedipus, my goodness, mm, mm. I mean, these are heavy, heavy-duty yeah. works, and then comedy. <laughs> so um, you're not a specialist, but you're a universalist. <laughs> Is that right?
1: I don't know, but I love. I mean,
0: you like it all. I,
1: I, yeah, I, I, I know. I think there are certain. As an actor, you're looking for parts and collaborations with directors. And I, I, I mean, it seems that most of the work I've done on stage has been classics, as you say, the, the canon. And I would love to do a modern play, but um, until there is one that's a, that appears, mm-hmm. um, then, if, like a lot of actors, there is this canon of which you mm-hmm. think, will I, can I, Would it ever be possible to? And there is, you know, there's Ibsens and Shakespeare's and Chekhov's, and they, you know, Sometimes we think they're done too much, but um, but they are. They are. They do. I think the best of them have these great truths and reflections of ourselves that are always worth reencountering.
0: Uh, but, uh, excuse, I don't know, but have you done Chekhov?
1: I've just done Ivanov, at uh, the Almeida ah. um, some years ago oh, with Jonathan I, Kent. I can
0: see you. I can see you. I can see you in Chekhov. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised you want to do that. Um, do you read the critics? Would you like to know what they say?
1: <laughs> not if it's going to screw me up tonight. <laughs> no, actually, I don't want to know. Even if it's good, I don't want to know.
0: Uh, that's, but that's interesting because actors do divide on whether they read the reviews or not. And that, uh, the role of the critic is very strange and very important for audiences um, once the play has opened. I wish
1: we, I could be more braver about it, but I actually, even if it's good, it's I, I, it somehow take something away and certainly if it's bad it can be very destructive and undermining so I, I, I don't I mean I
0: It's an interesting relationship though yeah, of course because yeah. it matters to us to know yeah, yeah. But, if cons- but <laughs> I
1: have a real and I think um, yeah, sorry, for, sorry to interrupt yeah. But I, I do think we have a I, It concerns me the way we ha- the, the, the context of the critic In the way that we have our first nights Because mm-hmm. if you are in a company The work evolves It's, it's a living thing And this this gladiatorial moment of is it this 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 or this is uh, I think mostly it's unhelpful to what we're doing. And I think uh, Peter Brook talks about this at length. Um, I think the best. I mean, I would suggest that there could be another version of this, which is first of all there isn't a bit like New York. We'd have our when the production is new, critics are invited in over, say, four or five nights. There is no specified first night. They can write what they want. But that the, the theatre encourages them to come and revisit and to review it again. Um, but this thing of getting it out for the next day's paper, is it any good or not, I mean, I accept it's part of a the way we are but i don't think it's um but i but Rafe, think it's there is
0: i mean we don't just read the stars you know mm. and then five mm. out three out of five or five out of five in your mm. case but i mean there is very often a very interesting exposition of mm. the play mm. and the interpretation mm. which mm. is really quite, is is a way in for mm-hmm. people who sure. aren't no, familiar I see that. I so see the, that. the the relationship is three way really it's sure. the audience the critics and then and and the performers are, are quite different ladies and gentlemen we know we're in the presence of a great actor join me in thanking him <laughs>